The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC. Shifts James White in the backfield. Option read. White's got the corner. Touchdown. Iowa State wins. The emotions of college football. Hello, Hawkeye fans. This is John Patchett, and welcome once again to the football show from Hawkeye's Mike. On this show, you'll hear from former NFL and Hawkeye star Marv Cook. Marv breaks down the Iowa State loss and talks about the pit game. Hawkeye's Mike podcasts are expanding this year and will include regular Brent Balbinot's press box report on Mondays, reviewing the previous game's action with comments from Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz and key Iowa players, Marv's segment Wednesdays, and guest commentators and reporters on Thursdays. Ferentz and opposing coaches will also be featured on Thursday shows, so stay tuned. The Iowa-Iowa State game highlights are courtesy of the Fox Sports Network, with announcers Joel Myers and Joel Klatt. A decent job calling the game. We very much appreciate it and thank them. Hawkeye's Mike is always interested in and encourages listener feedback. Help make us better. Please provide us with your comments and suggestions for programs, guests, and topics by emailing feedback at hawkeyesmike.com or by calling toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. Looking at the Iowa at Iowa State game notes and key stats, last Saturday's game was the 59th game in this series. The Hawks still hold a 39-20 advantage overall, despite last week's three-overtime loss. And that game was also the first time in the 59-game series that a contest went to overtime. Iowa's last overtime was a 27-24 loss at Ohio State in 2009 with some eerily similar conservative play-calling decisions by head coach Kirk Ferentz. Saturday's game was the seventh in Hawkeyes history that went to overtime, and the Hawkeyes are now 4-3 all-time in overtime contests. The Cy Hawk Trophy has left Iowa City now. It resides in Ames, and for the first time in several years, the Iowa Hawkeyes do not hold a single traveling trophy in Iowa City. In Saturday's game, the Hawks did manage to score 10 points off of three Iowa State turnovers, but ultimately it didn't matter. Sophomore running back Marcus Coker led Iowa's rushing game with a career-high 35 carries for 140 yards, surpassing 100 yards in a game for the third time in his career, and he also tied a career-high with two touchdowns. Sophomore linebacker Christian Kirksey had a great game. He had a career-high 13 tackles, his first career sack, and his first two tackles for loss. He also had his first pass breakup. Key stats? Well, there was a big difference in first downs in this one. Iowa had 18 to Iowa State's 26. The basic problem in this game was that Iowa's defense could not get off the field, and Iowa's offense, for the most part, couldn't find a way to stay on the field. Total offensive yards, 473 for Iowa State to 365 for the Hawks. And total offensive plays, this is probably the most meaningful stat, 90 for the Cyclones to 72 for the Hawks. The most meaningless stat, probably, from last Saturday were penalties. The Hawks were penalized six times for a total of 35 yards, but Iowa State was penalized 11 times for 84 yards. Usually when you see a statistic like that, the team with all those penalty yards is not able to win the game. 
Here's another very meaningful stat. Kickoff returns. Iowa State returned five kickoffs for 159 yards, highlighting Iowa's continuing problems on special teams. The Hawks were only able to return two kickoffs for 50 yards. Third down conversions, 7 of 15 for the Hawks. And here's another big advantage for Cyclones, 13 of 20. Iowa State was also 2 of 2 in fourth down conversions and scored 6 out of 9 times in the red zone. The Hawks were 5 of 5 in the red zone. We welcome back former Hawkeye and NFL star Marv Cook for his weekly stint on Hawkeye's Mike. Marv, another tough loss in the Kirk Ferentz era to the in-state rival Iowa State Cyclones. I think it had been a while, but, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a um, frustrating game from the standpoint that, you know, you really felt like Iowa was doing some things effectively offensively. and. We did score a lot of points, but just we defensively couldn't keep them. You know, every time we had them to, you know, a fourth down or a third down critical play, they seemed to make a play and kept them in the game and, and ultimately let them win the game. What is it about quarterbacks like Steel Jantz? Is it execution? Is it something about the scheme? Because we're going to face more of these guys of this type this year, and that doesn't bode well, that performance last Saturday. It's space. You know, they do good in space. What you got to do is you got to minim- minimize the amount of space that they have. When you, when you rush, you got to compress the pocket, keep them in the pocket. And guys like that, have they're not effective throwing, you know, they're not as effective throwing out of the pocket, you know, with 10 bodies in front of them, offensive linemen, defensive linemen. You know, they, they're more effective when they break the pocket. They create extra time. Now you got your seven or eight guys in, in coverage, you know, got to cover up guys for another two or three seconds, and that's where usually big plays happen. So if you're going to rush three or four, it's okay to do that, but you got to keep them in the pocket. You got to keep them compressed, keep them in space, not let them get out and make plays. And, and that's where I thought we broke down a little bit is just you know rush lanes were a little bit out of characteristic and then you know just missed opportunity as far as wrapping him up when we had chances he broke the pocket and then he was you know was able to, to you know he looked like a, a big time quarterback and it's amazing for a, a juco kid to come in and and be that effective is it really sort of a scheme issue in terms of how many people and how we rush the quarterback against these this style quarterback and the style offense well i mean i, I just think that you know when we're good and we have great teams we can rush for and, and be effective with rushing four. And you need guys like Claiborne or Matt Roth, or you need guys that can put pressure on. And I think, you know, the problem is if you do rush aggressively and you miss, and say the left defensive end, he gets there and gets pressure, but then he's able to roll out, and then there's no there's no support there. The tackle's not filling for the end who's crashing or whatever. If you lose contain on a, on a quarterback like this, that's when you have problems. And that's why I think, you know, the, the Purses and the, and the Northwesterns and Purdue's and, and some of those other teams have success against this is when they do break the pocket now you are creating extra seconds that you got to try to cover up guys and they're talented guys so um you know that's just the biggest the hard part is you know if you are going to rush three or four key is you give them five or six seconds in the pocket that's fine because we do have cover guys back there and they're all sitting in their hook zones curls matching up and then the problem though is is now when you break the pocket kind of the coverage breaks down because now you got someone's got to come up and force and now you got usually a throwing lane in there somewhere so it's a combination of things and, and 
you know, unfortunately, they made more plays and they made, you know, basically one more play than we made. What'd you really think of Jantz after that performance? That was a pretty impressive performance last Saturday. It really was, you know, and obviously he's going to get Big 12 Player of the Week and, you know, all that whole thing. But, you know, he, he was quick and elusive, but he wasn't fast. I mean, he, he didn't, you know, run off any 30, 40 yard runs against us. So he was just buying time. He was creating, you know, throwing lanes, like I said, with his legs and, and, and he was elusive. But, you know, like I said, if we could just, I think if we could have kept him in the pocket, he would not have been near as effective. Even if he would have had eight seconds to look to try to find receivers, he just would not have been as effective uh, from throwing from inside there. Going forward, when we face the Northwesterns and some of these other teams, is it likely that you'll see Parker's defense try to adjust, or is it what you always say, we are what we are, and you just have to execute better? Well, I think it's it's you know a little bit of that. I mean, they're gonna they are who they are. I mean, that's they, they're very sound with what they do, and you talk to teams when they're when they are effective they they know where they're supposed to be and they their drop curls their matchups their you know if they're if they're pressing the second receiver they're gonna you know if two go vertical I mean they, they got their their schemes in place that they're gonna run uh, you know like I said a lot of these guys steel jans or you know they're you know six footers or 511 or 510 guys trying to look through six six 320 guys and trust me it's not a it's not a you know visually it's you know, you got to. You, you kind of think you remember where that linebacker was, but if you can't fully see him, it's 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 discerning sometimes to try to throw that slant route or that hook route or that dig route, not knowing where those guys are. When you get out in space, now you see the whole field. You know, you're able to really make those throws. So, you know, I think the key is is just when you get guys like this, you know, you may say don't necessarily worry about, you know, the sack, which sounds kind of weird. But just keep pressing the pocket, keep pressing the pocket, and keep leverage. You know, and the worst place you can be as a rusher is behind the quarterback. You know, because you, you serve no purpose back there. You know, so worst case scenario, he's got to try to roll out. Then you press it and you force him wide and deep, and then he's got no place to go. You know, and he, and he can't get the corner. So. You know, I think that's the biggest key for some of these guys, like I said, is just keep them in the pocket, keep pressing the pocket, put guys in his face and make him throw the ball over these guys. A lot of the in-game comments and then the post-game, too, was, it was like, especially on offense, but really to some degree on defense, I was sort of sleepwalked through the second and third quarters. How do you explain something like that? You know, for me, as I was watching the game, I really felt like we were in complete control. I, I felt like Iowa had the game. I felt like our offense was executing, doing the things they needed to do, making plays when they had to make plays. Uh, our running game, I thought, you know, we were constantly getting decent, you know, uh, yardage with Coker pounding it up in there. I really felt like it was, a, you know, we were in control of the game. I never was really concerned, to be honest with you. And, and next thing you know, like I said, you just keep it close. Unfortunately, it just takes one or two plays and you're right back in the game. And that's kind of what Iowa State was able to do. They got a long field goal before the half. You know, they kept it within, you know, a striking distance going into the second or third quarter. You know, for me, the flow of the game kind of, you know, I think was back and forth. But ultimately, I felt like I was in control. I felt like I was the better team. And, uh, you know, like I said, Iowa State, to their credit, made some critical third down conversions, fourth down conversions that kept them in the game. And it was probably four or five plays where if Iowa gets a stop, we win the game. And, and they made the play and we didn't. The other comment you heard during the game, and we've heard in past years versus Iowa State, I think Eddie Podolak made it several times that once again it just looked like the Iowa State players and staff wanted this game when it came down to it more than Iowa. What does that really mean? As If you're a player, I find that hard to believe, but it, it does sort of take on that feel. 
Yeah, and I think I think ultimately it's just you know when when you make plays and the other team isn't you know at critical times it looks like you want it more. And, and like I said, some of those plays were the, the, there's a throw down the sideline where our safety hit him hard right when he caught the ball and he just hung on to it and made a nice catch. It was a big play for him. You're gonna have that in an in-state rivalry, you know. I mean, there was a lot of publicity with the trophies and and you know you know so you knew it was gonna be a, a hard-fought game and and Iowa State with Coach Rose and the way they contest everything and you know they they face good competition. They play Oklahoma, so it wasn't like Iowa was going to intimidate them. Uh, so you knew you were going to get a great effort out of them. But, um, but ultimately, like I said, it, for me, it's just they made four or five more plays than we made. And that's that's the disheartening thing because I think it, it probably should have never came to that you know that point in the game. I thought you know, offensively we should have maybe scored some more points early that we didn't take advantage of and, and, and kept Iowa State in the game. Iowa State did a good job of shutting down Marvin McNutt for a lot of that game by forcing him back inside. And, um, and Keenan Davis had a good step-up game for the most part other than that one dropped open pass that might have been a touchdown. And Vandenberg looked almost better against Tennessee Tech in that horrible weather with his touch on passes than he did Saturday where time and again he was overthrowing. What causes that? Is he just amped too much or is that just a, sometimes quarterbacks just have off days like that consistently overthrowing? I thought he played solid. I mean, one thing about Iowa State, it's always windy in that stadium. It's always, there's always gusts. So sometimes if you throw in with the wind, the ball's going to, you know, sail on you or if you throw it into it, you may overcompensate. You know, but for the most part, I thought he made some big throws at clutch times. Um, you know, and like I said, with the exception of the drop, I mean, you know, I just felt like it was weird. It was just a weird type of game because I thought we played good enough to win it offensively. And, um, you know, when you score as many points, I guess we get a lot of those points were in overtime, though. But but the ease with which we scored the first two overtimes, I mean, it was just, you know, I don't even think we had to really, you know, just, it just seemed like it was just really methodical. And, you know, we didn't need to call any timeouts. Iowa State had to call two timeouts in their two overtime possessions because they had critical, critical downs and distances. And it's frustrating from my standpoint, just because, like I said, I really felt like Iowa was the better team, played better throughout the course of the game. But ultimately, you know, to Iowa State's credit, I mean, they, they made some huge plays at critical times. Now, a lot of the discussion after the game has been revolving around Kirk's very conservative play calling, both at the end of regulation and in the third overtime on the last offensive series. Let's take those separately. All right, at the end of regulation, you have two timeouts. You're on the 20. You do get a false start, five-yard drop, but still got nearly two minutes, 15-yard line, two timeouts, and you choose not to go for it. I want you to talk about that, but also sort of conventional wisdom that when you're on the road, you always play for the win, which doesn't seem to be the case last Saturday, nor was it the case um, a couple of years ago at Columbus, which is some of those play calls are comparing, you know, last Saturday's game to that Ohio State game. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you, in this situation, I think if you are, if you feel like you have a better team, a uh, better kicking game, which I think we did, our kicker was stellar Saturday and their kicker was struggling, both their kickers were struggling or had misses, you know, depending on the wind, if they were going into that wind that last series and they needed probably an extra 15 yards, you know, normally you get to the 30, you got a shot, but if they're into the wind, they probably had to get to the 20 to have a realistic shot. So that's, you know, 60 yards they need to get. You know, I, I, I can kind of see that, but I still think you got to try to take a shot, you know, to some extent. You know, Marvin McNutt can take a five-yard catch and turn it into a 35-yard gain in a hurry. So can Keenan Davis. You know, to just 
get real conservative, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's but like I said, if we if we throw a pick there and they set up for a field goal and win, then you know everybody's going to second guess that. But but if you have a you know, and, and like I said, in this situation, if you have a better team, I think you can play into overtime and feel like well, you got the advantage because we are better, our running game's better, which it was, and our kicking game was better. It probably made sense to some extent. You know, it's just it's it's hard. It's easy to second guess now, but like I said, if you'd have thrown a pick, we'd have been second guessing that, saying he should have been you know playing for overtime. But it's, it's that's who we are though. I mean, I get back to we are who we are, and, and you know we won't lose games by making poor decisions right before the game because I mean that's the mo that we have is that we're not going to take unnecessary risks that put us in a bad position. Is it accurate to say that's a little bit more of an NFL type philosophy, especially at the end of regulation? Because I want to come back to the overtime separately. I think it's a defensive philosophy, to be honest with you. I mean, I played for Dave Wanstead, and he was very very similar. He didn't want he did not want the offense to screw things up, and not that Kirk has that same mentality, but you know it was just let's you know let's not make mistakes offensively let's let our defense make plays when they need to and offensively we'll do enough to win and you know I think that's kind of the mentality is that you know let's not shoot ourselves in the foot to some extent and let the game kind of play itself out but you know as you mentioned that one and then the, then the the overtime where we get fourth and six and we're gonna kick a field goal and then they get off sides and now we go to fourth and I don't know if it has been a yard or less than a yard but I don't think they had stopped Coker behind the line of scrimmage the whole day like I said there's a chance to if you punch it in worst case scenario now I Iowa State has to score a touchdown. Uh, their kicking game wasn't very good, so you know we kick a field goal. I mean, see there, I see that too, though, because we kick the field goal, knock it through. Their field goal game, if we have to hold them to a field goal, well, they had two guys that already missed two field goals earlier. You know, there'd been a lot of pressure on that kick, so I, I kind of see both sides of it. You know, I can't, I can't really bang on it too much, so. Uh, I see it both ways. Flip side of that coin, though, is what do you think was going through the staff's mind collectively? Because the, in terms of defense, they hadn't been able to stop Steel Jans the entire second half, and certainly not in overtime. What do you think made them think they could stop him on that last series? I think, honestly, he was just making plays. I mean, he was making incredible plays at, at the right time. You know, I mean, the, the one scramble where we almost have him stuffed in the backfield, he rolls out and makes it, you know, and throws a touchdown. I mean, he was was doing things that were Antoine Randall type style plays, unfortunately. And, you know, I, I think the mentality was that he just can't keep making another play. He can't keep making another play. And, and unfortunately for us, he did. He was able to. That makes me angry. And when Dr. Evil gets angry, Mr. Bigglesworth gets upset. And when Mr. Bigglesworth gets upset, people die! More from Marv after the Big Ten update. Marv breaks down Iowa's special teams problems, talks pit, the disappearance of the tight ends in the Iowa State game, and dissects a bit last Saturday's Michigan-Notre Dame game. HawkeyesMike.com, just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. www.HawkeyesMike.com. Call toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. In our Big Ten update through two weeks of this 2011 season, seven Big Ten teams maintain a perfect record. Numerous Big Ten standouts also rank among the national leaders in several statistical categories. Three Big Ten quarterbacks rank among the top ten in passing efficiency, making the Big Ten the only conference in the nation with three quarterbacks in the top ten in that category. Four Big Ten signal callers not only passed for 100 or more yards, but also rushed for 100 yards or more as well, something that does not bode well, at least at this point, for Iowa's struggling defense. 
There was also a record-setting crowd in the Big Ten last Saturday. Nearly 115,000 fans packed it in to see Michigan knock off Notre Dame. That attendance was the largest crowd ever to watch a college or professional football game. While seven Big Ten teams managed to win, there were some interesting losses in the conference. In addition to Iowa's three-overtime loss at Iowa State, New Mexico State beat up a little bit on Minnesota 28-21. To make matters worse, Minnesota head coach Jerry Kill collapsed on the sidelines in the closing moments of that game, scaring fans, players, and coaches alike. Minnesota media reports that Kill could return this Saturday for Minnesota's game. In his absence, defensive coordinator Tracy Clays is running the team. Ohio State also struggled a bit against Toledo, while Alabama pretty much manhandled Penn State and Rice beat Purdue. Looking at this coming Saturday's schedule, there are some big and some very interesting games in the Big Ten. Arizona State travels to Champaign to play a surprisingly good Illinois team. Pittsburgh, of course, is at Iowa. Michigan State travels a short distance to play Notre Dame. Notre Dame now sitting at 0-2. Washington plays at 10th-ranked Nebraska. And in a game down in South Florida, Ohio State plays Miami. And just in time for this game, Miami gets its quarterback, Ja'Cory Harris, back after a one-game suspension. And the Ohio State Buckeyes will also get three players back from suspension as well. The Big Ten continues to have four teams ranked in both the Associated Press and USA Today polls. Those are Wisconsin, Nebraska, Michigan State, and Ohio State. And broadcast school has really paid off. Now more insights from Marv Cook. Switching gears to the special teams for a minute, we are now seeing a disturbing pattern over the last two years, maybe a bit longer, with a real issue in terms of kickoff and punt coverage. Is that an issue of scheme or execution or both? What do you see going on there and how would you try to correct it? One, you have to practice it. I mean, you have to really do certain drills and, and really work on rush or, or your lanes uh, and, and timing. And, and what you don't want is you don't want gaps across the field, but you'll, you don't also want gaps down the field you know so if you get one guy that's 10 yards ahead of the other guy and then their proper lanes the problem is now there's still a crease once he gets past the first wave now he's got a, an angle back out the other way you want to keep the lines somewhat together as they come down compress the ball keep it contained and hit it you know hit it in the head so you know I think one you got to match up speed and you got to make sure guys are in their in their proper lanes but then also the waves are coming down in the right way to keep you know the returner so they don't absolutely have no place to run and they can't get out of the the, uh, the first or two guys that are down there kind of pressing the issue, forcing them back to the other guys. So, you know, you just got to work on those things over and over and over again. And then you got to get personnel in there. You got to get the right people in place that are going to make those plays and not, you know, get out of position. So, but, you know, that's the other teams are playing. Those are tough things to do. It's easy to say, but hard to do sometimes because you have to be incredibly athletic to be on those teams. Let's uh, turn to Pittsburgh. Um, new coach trying to install new offensive and defensive philosophies. Apparently the leading running back in the nation after the first two weeks. How much do you know about Pitt? What do you think we'll see in this game and how Iowa might match up? I really don't know a lot yet. I mean, because you have a new staff and they're, they're probably still trying to you know, identify what they are and who they are and their personnel. So obviously, you know, knowing Dave Wonstadt and the way he was able to recruit, they've had talented players that have come out of that program. So you know they have talented football players uh, and it's a rich storied tradition. So, you know, 
So you know you're going to get a spirited effort. You're going to get some talented football players. Just a matter whether execution-wise they can come in and do enough to you know to beat a solid, uh, fundamentally sound Iowa offense and defense. And you know that being the case, you know you've watched. I've looked at their first two games. They, you know, the competition level hasn't been you know very much as far as the talent that they've been facing. But yet they've won. The scores haven't been lopsided. You know, so I, I still think they're a team searching for what they need to be doing. And you know Iowa should be in a position where if they play well and you know obviously being back at Kinnick Stadium is going to be extremely helpful. You know they shouldn't have any problem with this game. But you know that being the case, I'm going to tell you right now, if you, if you leave it down to one play, we may have a problem because there's going to be enough talent on the other side of the field that they can make a play. It's given up six sacks in the first two games, which would lead you to believe they've got some offensive line issues. Given that fact, is this likely a game where the defense will really pin back their ears? They have to be salivating over a stat like that. Yeah, I mean, you, you would think so, and, and it's not characteristic of us. I mean, we have some blitz packages in place, but I don't think you'll see us changing exactly what we do all the time just because Pitt may have some issues. Uh, that's kind of not how we do, you know, from my from my perspective, that's not how we, we operate. So, you know, I think we are going to still do what we do. We will bring some calculated blitzes at times, but I don't think it's going to be something that says, okay, well, Pitt is weaker in the offensive line, so we're going to all of a sudden now be a blitz team. That's not what we're going to do. But, you know, I think it's going to ultimately come down to, like I said, the front four creating pressure. And if we can do that, keep contained, then we have a chance. And that's what we want to do. Because if you start bringing, uh, you know, Morris, you start bringing uh, Kirksey off the edges, now you got one less guy in the flats and the curls, and that's where the good teams, you know, they'll sit there and bang and take that five-yard stick route or that five-yard hook route and consistently just take that over and over and over again. Those things kind of wear you down, create field position, lose field position for your offense, uh, and, and keep a team in the game. So obviously after two weeks or two games, they've found some things that they've got to work on that we've got to shore up. And and for me, like I said, I think personnel is good. I think we are a good football team. It has a chance to be a great football team. You know, we just have to keep contained. We have to keep, you know, the quarterbacks in the pocket defensively if we're going to be effective. Your keys, is this a game where Iowa's likely to focus more on trying to improve itself in terms of its own schemes? And if so, what would your keys be? And how do you expect this team to bounce back to deal with that loss last Saturday? Yeah, I, I think it is. I think it is after a couple weeks. Usually that's what you do is you go and look at the films and you look at yourself a lot and you say, okay, well, we got this is not good here, 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 and here. So we got to clean these things up if we want to be effective in the Big Ten. And so you'll see a lot of that. But, I, you know, I thought our running zone, our zone running game was pretty effective for the most part. Iowa State was trying to create a lot of pressure with run-throughs. Uh, and, you know, for the most part, they were somewhat effective, but yet we were still getting four, five, six a pop. You know, Coker's a great back. As, if he gets hit on the line of scrimmage, he still seems to get one or two or three yards, positive yards. So I thought the running game was, was effective. You know, it'd be nice to see some 25-yard runs, 30-yard runs, you know, 50-yard runs periodically busting out of there. And I think that's what we kind of lack a little bit right now uh, that we had, you know, at the end of last year with Coker busting out on some of these zones and, you know, getting 40, 50 yards uh, and then putting pressure on safeties. And if you can get the safeties down out of the box or down in the box to stop the run now, you know, Keenan Davis and Marvin McNutt should have field days on the outside competing against some of these corners that they're playing against. Last Saturday, Coker had, I recall, I think every carry from the running back position for Iowa. Now, obviously, that can't continue, but what does that tell you about Kirk's mindset and Ken O'Keefe's in that last game? And what might it tell you going forward? Well, you know, our fullback is is a blocker. He, he occasionally runs the flat routes. The fullback, I don't know if he's got one catch for the season. The fullback position, the tight ends, we played three tight ends. They've got three catches in the last two games. That's it. Uh, you know, that's an area that we've got to be more diverse with our passing game, and we've got to be spreading the ball around. We've got 
got to be hitting the backs, the fullbacks, the screens, the stick route with the tight end, you know, the hook routes with the tight end. And, and, and we've got to get them more involved in the offense and make them more diverse. Because ultimately, if I'm playing Iowa, I'm on McNutt. You know, I'm going to try to keep the ball in McNutt's hands. So now that should allow Keenan Davis to be one-on-one. That should allow the tight ends to be running you know, routes against linebackers. Uh, and you got to win those. And that's where you got to be banging away. And then now, once you get them involved in the passing game, now it should get the safety over the top of the tight end to help out. Now McNutt's sitting on the outside with the corner. You know, whether it's zone or man, he's basically got one guy out there. And then he's going to have more success as well. So, you know, those are the things we've got to clean up offensively as far as I'm concerned. Not clean up, but just make sure that we're getting the tight ends more involved. Your comment made me think about how the tight ends really sort of disappeared last Saturday against Iowa State, and especially the way they were defensing McNutt, paying more attention to him. What happened with the tight ends last week? Just, like I said, just for some reason, the flow of our offense just there was no flow there was no you know we we run this to set this up and and to me I mean like I said I, I truly felt like offensively we're doing whatever we wanted to do at any critical times and uh, you know I personally don't know I mean as I, as I was watching the game I just never had a feeling like we were gonna lose I felt like we were doing enough offensively to win the game and and stuff and then like I said the problem is then you look up and you say oh the scoreboard's pretty still pretty close game but you know, there just there was no flow, and then then we said that we got in a critical situation where we needed Keenan Davis to make the catch. He drops the ball. Well, you don't want to leave it to that. You know, it should never come down to that. I mean, it will ultimately in some games, but this is a game that shouldn't came down to. Well, he drops the ball, and now we got to settle for a field goal, so that type of thing. But um, you know, we are a team. Selfishly, I'm a tight end, and, and I think we are effective in this this. You know, with boots and waggles, that's the tight ends make their living. You know, and uh, you know Reisner and those little ten-yard hook routes and and stuff, and and and, and you know we got to just make sure that that's part of the equation. And you know, you don't want to sit there and focus on McNutt trying to get the ball to him all the time. You got to kind of pick your spots and, and be selective. But but ultimately, by, by being more diverse with where you're spreading the ball around, it helps you know immensely because it'll take more less pressure off of McNutt and let him be in, in Keenan Davis. I mean, that's where we got a good combination. I mean, we got some talented guys out there running around. And, you know, if you spread the love a little bit, it, trust me, from a defensive standpoint, saying, well, who do we cover? Keenan Davis is having a big game. McNutt can have a big game. You know, if the tight ends are involved, if the fullback's involved, if the running backs are involved, it makes it difficult. This might be an unfair question, and I don't know if you saw the Michigan-Notre Dame game Saturday night, but that was an unbelievable last few minutes in that ball game. Can you ever imagine Iowa's offense trying to pull off something like that? We could. I mean, that's that's what we, I mean, we, we could be that way. I mean, Vandenberg can sling it. Uh, you know, obviously McNutt and Keenan Davis and those kind of guys, we have the personnel to kind of, if we have to do that, I think we could do it. I mean, you know, they say the luck of the Irish. I'm telling you, they've been snake bit for the last year and a half. The way they found a way to lose that game was amazing. But, you know, I mean, Michigan made plays. But, you know, those, uh, Robinson was basically just throwing up, just throwing it up, you know, literally. And, you know, Michigan guys were finding the ball and the Notre Dame guys find, guys weren't and you know it was just and then you know Michigan to have an all-out blitz look when they're up four on their own 30 you know leave a guy running down the middle of the field vertically it was just incredible so it was a bizarre bizarre game or ending to the game. Want to make a prediction for Saturday versus Pitt? I think you're going to see more of the same from Iowa you're going to see a great running game you're going to see a physical running game uh, and I think you'll see you know I, I think you'll see all the things I think they're smart enough to know you know what the tight ends will get involved the fullbacks will get involved the ball's going to be spread around the field a little bit 
bit and you'll see a really good mix of run and pass. Once we do that, we're going to be tough to stop because I think we are pretty talented uh, in the different positions. And then defensively, I think you'll see a, a concerted effort to keep the quarterback in the pocket. I mean, I think, uh, and sometimes, like I said, the best thing you can do is not sack him. If you can't sack him, keep him in. And that's, you know, I mean, I, I think ultimately, you know, that'll lead to some picks, that'll lead to some tip balls, that'll lead to some overthrown balls. Because like I said, a lot of quarterbacks, with the spread offense stuff, they like to be moving, they like to be out where they can see things, and they don't like to be sitting in the pocket when it's collapsing in on them. So I think you'll see a concerted effort to make sure we contain and keep the quarterbacks in the pocket. Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Just call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Also, visit HawkeyesMike.com. Go to the News and Events section and check out the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, the latest Hawkeye and Big Ten videos, and team schedules. Check us out also on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook, and check out our new video features, both on the homepage and the video player tab. And don't forget, you can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes. Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs in the Gazette, the Hawkeye, and in the Daily Iowa. Hawkeyesmike.com. It's sports talk radio on the internet, just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. Hawkeyes Mike football shows are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer the revolutionary antimicrobial hand sanitizer that is alcohol-free and lasts all day with a single application. Try the hand sanitizer the Iowa Hawkeyes use, and remember, the best defense is prefense. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group, Wells Fargo Advisors Financial Network in Coralville, Iowa. Call 319-512-6261 or toll-free 800-883-0842. Marsh Cook. For all your investment needs. Our thanks again to the Fox Sports Network for the game highlights this week. And thanks, as always, to Marv Cook. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you'll participate by phoning and making your own voice heard. Call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.